Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. This week's topic, if gangs can make peace, why can't we? An interview with Riza Islam about an amazing gang summit and what it means for us. History was made as rival Southern California gang leaders met July the 17th to discuss making peace on the streets. Some 2,500 people came to the summit, including rival gang members, cops, gang interventionists, families and friends of victims, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti, Police Chief Charles Beck, and religious leaders of diverse denominations. Though packed with rival gang members, not a single act of violence took place. What do you think would have happened at a similar summit of Democrats and Republicans these days? What sometimes <laughs> I, I happens... I know what would have happened. <laughs> at least a shouting match, maybe more. Maybe yeah. somebody getting roughed up. Punch him out, punch him out. <laughs> what sometimes happens in our own houses... If gangs can do it, why can't we? Let's talk to Riza Islam from United in Peace, one of the sponsors of the event, and a man who has been working hard to bring peace to the inner cities. How are gang members coming together? Is the process continuing? Is it making a difference on the street? And what can we learn from it? With so much violence in the world, let's learn more about positive developments where we least expect them. And now, here's Beth. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio. And I would like to make a special welcome not only to our Voice America listeners, but also every once in a while I want to acknowledge our uh, listeners from our syndicated Pacifica stations. Hello. Uh, We never get to hear anything about you. We don't know much about how many of you there are, but we know that we have... A uh, number of stations that are downloading us on Pacifica. So uh, we're sending you our love and greetings. So, okay, well, James and I were uh, out in this beautiful, beautiful part of Oregon, beautiful rivers and all of that. And I uh, just want to say that the only problem was the people. I didn't say that, but you know, they have to light bonfires and pollute the air and. <laughs> And some arsonist uh, started burning the forest down, and what can I say? So it's kind of a shock to come back to uh, where we live and uh, be right back into the fight with you, the fight for the inner revolution. So take it away, James. Let's hear about the news of the inner revolution. All right, then. This week's news is one long reminder that we need an inner revolution where we start to live in oneness become accountable for our impact, and practice mutual support. Some are doing it, but still way too few. As usual, nearly everyone is focusing on Donald Trump's arrogance, sexism, pandering to racism, xenophobia, and what have you. And of course, these are extremely crucial issues, but let's not forget what is probably item number one on our planet, climate change. Isn't Donald's threat to reverse our few environmental regulations enough of a reason to vote him down? Isn't his claim that climate change is a hoax one of the worst things he is saying? Yet of the increasing number of folks who are congratulating themselves for speaking out against him, especially Republicans, most seem to be ignoring the threat to our very earth. Yet this week alone we have seen devastating fires in California and devastating flooding in Louisiana. The Washington Post reported that July was the 15th straight record warm month. Here's a snippet from the report. 
National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and NASA data reveal the Earth's temperature reached its highest point in 136 years of record-keeping during July. July 2016, this is a quote, was absolutely the hottest month since the instrumental records began, tweeted Gavin Schmidt, who directs NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, which is responsible for temperature measurements. It was the 15th straight month of record-breaking temperatures in OAA's analysis and 10th straight in NASA's, passing the previous hottest, hottest Julys by substantial margins. Quote, it's a little alarming to me that we're going through these records like nothing this year, said Jason Furtado, a professor of meteorology at the University of Oklahoma. Quote, each month just gives another data point that makes the evidence stronger that we're changing the climate, added Simon Donner, professor of climatology at the University of British Columbia. For example, blistering heat scorched the Middle East. Mitriba, Kuwait, simmered to 129.2 degrees, which, if confirmed, would mark the hottest temperature ever recorded in the Eastern Hemisphere. Hey guys, a lot of people in the world don't have air conditioning. Our planet is facing drought, starvation, rising water, and global suffering. Yet people are talking about Donald Trump's bad manners and whether or not the Republican Party is going to be hurt by his candidacy. <laughs> and even more ridiculous, many Republicans are breaking with the Trump campaign because he's losing. Does that mean that they would stick with him if he seemed to be winning? Would his winning make anything better? Back to the climate front, however. The White House this week set new fuel efficiency standards for heavy-duty trucks, vans, and buses in a move to cut back on greenhouse gas emissions. Yet at the same time, according to Greenpeace, in the midst of the Louisiana climate fuel disaster, the Obama administration is still planning to move forward with a fossil fuel lease sale in New Orleans next week. Over 20 million acres of the Gulf of Mexico will be auctioned off to oil and gas companies for drilling and fracking. This auction is set to take place in the New Orleans Superdome just an hour's drive from the Louisiana cities and towns that have just been ravaged by unprecedented floods. Greenpeace and other environmentalists are collecting signatures to stop the government. Could this be real? If you're interested, check it out. And speaking of protests against climate change, an Olympian took his moment in the public eye to carry a serious message about the survival of Kiribati, his Pacific Island homeland nation. Rising seas from climate change threaten the roughly 102,000 inhabitants of the 33 coral atolls that lie about 2,400 miles south of Hawaii. And the Olympian weightlifter, David Kotuatau, waved his arms, spun, and danced, according to the Washington Post, August 16. He danced at the Rio Olympics on Monday to bring awareness to their plight. Back to the bad news on the environment, many of you will recall our interview with Mike Papantonio, a lawyer has, who has won judgments against DuPont for the chemical pollution caused by Teflon. The horror of the story was that DuPont was well aware of the health dangers for decades and polluted our waters anyway. Now here's a grim follow-up reported in EcoWatch. The story was sent to us by listener Elizabeth. At least 6 million Americans in 33 states are being exposed to unsafe levels of the industrial chemical PO. I'm sorry, PFOA, which is part of Teflon, in their drinking water, according to a study published Tuesday in the journal Environmental Science and Technology Letters. Quote, 
For many years, chemicals with unknown toxicities were allowed to be used and released to the environment, and we now have to face the severe consequences, one researcher said. And the available water data only reveals to the tip of the iceberg of contaminated drinking water, said study co-author Dr. Philip Grangin of the Harvard School of Public Health to the Charleston Gazette-Mail. PFOA and PFOS chemical compounds, including C8, popularly known as the Teflon chemical, are extremely dangerous to human health. And despite an EPA advisory released earlier this year and increasing calls for action, research shows they are near ubiquitous in the United States, which means they are all over the place. Quote, virtually all Americans are exposed to these compounds. Zindu Heed, the study's lead author and a doctoral student at Harvard's Department of Environmental Health, told The Post. You know, they, just a second before you go on. I want to say that when when these people are saying that almost all Americans are being uh, exposed to these toxins, that means it doesn't mean... That if you're black, if you're white, if you're Hispanic, if you're Muslim, if you're Christian, <laughs> you know, this stuff impacts everybody. Well, rich and poor, maybe, you know, rich people can all afford to buy bottled water. Not to say that bottled water is always that healthy, but it's also, uh, you know, you're washing dishes, you're taking baths, you're taking showers. I mean, I, I think it's really important to realize how much the issues about pollution, climate change, and the earth are impacting everyone. You go driving down the road and you see the drought. And it's not just people. Think about the poor wildlife that's out there. Anyway, okay, I've said enough on that. Just, I just wanted to make an exclamation point on that one. Okay, well, James, continue. Okay, Okay, here we are. And furthermore, uh, what this uh, doctoral student continues to say is these Teflon chemicals never break down. Once they are released into the environment, they're there forever. Moreover, the study also notes that research suggests, quote, that exposure to these chemicals can make people sick, even at or below the concentration recommended as acceptable under the EPA health advisory, according to the Gazette Mail. This is, of course, on top of the lead poisoning to our water supply, which is finally coming to our awareness. Okay, there are some positive stories in the news this week, too, but let's just share two. The Huffington Post reported that New York State has just passed a new law which says that all state-funded research labs must make dogs and cats used as test subjects available for adoption, as opposed to euthanizing them when testing is complete. Of course, many animals are too damaged to be adoptable, and even the adoptable ones are traumatized. Is this another move toward eliminating experimentation on animals? And the final positive story we're going to report also came from the Huffington Post, reported on August 17th. The retail chain Target is going to install gender-neutral bathrooms in all of its stores. Does this mean that we are having a small fit of sanity somehow, somewhere? (laughs) So it seems, although at the same time, here's some more insanity. Five French towns have banned the burkini, the full-body bathing suit worn by some Muslim women, and three more towns are in the process of doing so. Prime Minister Manuel Valls supported the prohibitions on Wednesday, calling the garment part of the enslavement of women. In fact, it would be challenging to spot a burkini on most French beaches, and even some of the mayors considering the bans admit to never having seen one. But... 
But isn't it heartwarming to see these bureaucrats support Muslim women by making sure that they can't go to the beach at all? Okay, okay, so back to Trump. Trump is a blowhard egomaniac, and his buddies seem to have ties to Russia. Yes, and yes. And he says mean things. But don't we see a million other reasons to try to stop the Republican domination of our Congress? Where there is reasonable access to women's health care, including abortion, whether it's toxic drinking water, whether it's the epidemic of drugs, whether it's the alienation of millions of Muslims who could end up hating us more, whether it's the despair engendered by increasing income inequality, whether it's the mindless response to the reality of our economic dependence on undocumented workers and our bigotry toward them, whether it's the very survival of our planet itself. Isn't it time for us to stop focusing on the Trump carnival and start focusing on the policies that need to change our nation and our world. So let's call on everyone, Republican and Democrat, to stop playing the win-lose election game and start getting real about our problems and see if we can't come together to solve them. Entering the posturing would be a good start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And not to speak of, and I didn't even, you know, that wasn't even mentioned in the last bit of the news, but of racism, endemic racism in our nation. Obviously, defeating Trump may feel like, wow, we've really done something. And, and uh, you know, okay, I've come out against Trump. Wow, that's big, right? And <laughs> it's, it's laughable. It's laughable. It is totally, totally laughable. People are suffering. Animals are suffering. The planet is suffering. But we're walking around congratulating ourselves about actually standing up to a guy who looks like a fascist, talks like a communist, but isn't really, has nothing to do with communism. What can I say? So today we're going to have a piece of sanity, we hope, uh, because we're going to be talking to Reza Islam, who is talking about bringing people together. So first of all, let us see whether or not Riza is with us. Riza, say hello. Hello, hello, peace, everyone. I'm here. Hi there, peace to you, Rizzo. <laughs> <laughs> you heard some. I I know you weren't here in the very beginning, but I think you heard some of our ghastly news of the week. Uh, with, this is supposed to be news of the inner revolution, but sometimes it's uh, really news of the counter revolution. But we also, because we're all about oneness, accountability, and mutual support. But sometimes we have to like wake up out of a stupor and notice things, you know. Like we were talking about the the fact that in this electoral season, people are seem to have forgotten about climate change. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. hello, you know, right? And, and, you know, and black people only get on the news when they are killing someone or have killed somebody, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. know, the 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 daily grind of poverty is kind of invisible. That that does not matter. So anyway, Riz, we want you to tell us about this incredible gang summit. And uh, did you really not have any violence at that summit? And how did you do that without chloroforming everybody? We really want to know about that. (laughs) But before we hear about that, I would like to hear a little bit about you. So tell us what your relationship is to this summit and tell us how you got into this. So start. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. 
Take it away. Thank you so much. Well, one, I, I, I truly uh, appreciate the honor of being on your show. And I did listen to some of the news of the week. And, and ghastly, it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but definitely, you know, we, we need to have both sides of the picture so that we can, you know, logically make a decision as to where we go from here. Yes. Um, so uh, my name, of course, as you, as you gave, is Reza Islam. I am the student uh, assistant under Minister Tony Muhammad in the Nation of Islam. Uh, and I'm also the student minister in training under Minister Tony Muhammad uh, for the Western region in the Nation of Islam. And I became involved in humanitarianism from the age of 11, primarily in the city of Compton, California, uh, working with inner city youth, gangs, uh, those who are on drugs, those who are under the tutelage of the correctional system uh, and what have you. So. I've been involved in doing these things for a very long time. Now, Compton, I, I haven't lived in L.A. area for a long time. Compton is still a primarily black area, isn't it? Uh, it's pri- primarily Hispanic. It's actually changing slowly, but it is primarily Hispanic. Second to that would be African-American, yes. Oh, really? Okay. So you're a student, but you're not a kid. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think no. it's, you know, because we've had 15-year-olds, you know, who address the, you know, the nation on climate change. You are not 15. So you've had no. <laughs> some experience under your belt of what life in the, in the, big, in the big world is. Right. You're more yeah. like mid-20s, right? Right. 26. Yeah. 26. 26 now. And the correct pronunciation of your name is Riza and not Riza. Right. It's basically uh, like pizza, but with an R. Okay. <laughs> kind of the easiest way to remember it there. <laughs> Rizza. Mm-hmm. Rizza. Okay. So that would be a Muslim pizza. Okay. Right. <laughs> I got it. Okay. That's, so how, that's now, how you can remember. That's how I can remember. So mm-hmm. what got you motivated to become an activist? Uh, You know, it was actually growing up in the city of Compton, witnessing certain things every single day. That would be from gang violence, that would be drug abuse, that would be broken up homes, single parent households, um, stop and frisk by police officers, uh, education, which was watered down and manipulated. I mean, it's just different things. It was a a dichotomy in a mixture of uh, so many injustices within a certain square mileage of one city, you know, and as I was younger, I would witness these different things. And of course there was positive as well, you know, very family oriented. I have a big family uh, and, you know, Compton is my home. I I will never um, negate where I grew up and I love Compton to death. Um, However, you know, I can't uh, ignore the realities that, that we were living under. And so witnessing all of this, this is what led me to say, you know what, I want to do something to help my people. I really want my people to be better and do better, but I can't watch and just pray for somebody else to do it. I should be able to do something for them myself. Now, uh, Risa, one of the things I'd like to know is you mentioned that now Compton is more of a Hispanic than secondly African-American. Mm-hmm. So were you friendly with the Hispanic kids or was it a segregated, uh, alienated culture? Oh no! Oh no! We we are definitely together. I mean, those are my that's that's our brown family. Okay. You know, we, it's culturally <laughs> similar. You know, customs are similar. Family oriented. You know, we we love one another. I lived right across the street from some of my some of my best friends. You know, who I grew up with are Hispanic. So it's just it's the black and brown. You know, I, I never had any um, arguments or I was never at variance with any one of them. So you know, that's something that certain individuals like to 
throw into the picture, which is, you know, let's divide people. Yes. You know, yes. how I mean you were speaking before, they always, they, you know, division is their order and that's how they remain in power by keeping right. everyone else divided. But we were never divided, not when I was growing up. Now, that's pretty remarkable. So um, it's kind of depressing to hear about black versus Hispanic gangs. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you explain that the gangs are separate when the communities aren't? Right. Well, one, with the invention of this gang life, this gangster mentality came that entire culture, but it didn't start just out of nowhere. It didn't come out of thin air. It was mm-hmm. actually created, uh, for instance, with the CRIPS. It's an acronym which stood for Community Resistance in Progress or Community Revolution in Progress. It was no created. No kidding. Yes, it was created out of the racist environment that was from racist police officers coming down and serving injustice to the community. So yeah. Stanley Tookie Williams, Raymond Washington, you know, a lot of the brothers in the neighborhood created a group that would protect the community from racist police. That was the original intention of the Bloods and the Crips, but that was the Crips and the Bloods were the young Bloods. They were the, the, the little homies, the apprentices, you would, you would call them. And, you know, and that's how that was. But the uh, government, of course, with their divide and conquer and COINTELPRO tactics, they infiltrated the group and they put agents in the group and started to go into opposite uh, territories, shoot up the territories and then create gang wars. And from that day forward, that's how it has been. And they to this very day, they have agents within the different uh, sets or the different gangs. And they continue to stimulate this violence between the black and black and brown and brown and black and uh, brown. Now, do you have hardcore evidence about that, Brisa? Oh, yes. That's actually, that's blatant. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's been... <laughs> that's blatant. I mean, that's with, like right yeah, out there in the light everywhere. of day. Well, oh, see, yeah, I, no, I had the same experience, but in a different context. Back <laughs> in the 60s, when I was in the anti-war movement and many of the <laughs> other movements, we always had the most violent people were police agents. And it was really obvious. And we would go, I I remember one demonstration that I was at, all the police agents had little buttons on. And (laughs) they put little flowers on top of the button. So that, yeah, yeah, I I kid you not. And we would be going down, okay, so we'd be, you know, doing some protest. And they would say, let's go this way, right? And they were the <laughs> agents, and they would send us straight to where the horses were, you know, or yep. they would say, let's throw rocks. And they yep. were the agents, and it happened over and over and over and over. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there wasn't something going on within the left that was willing to do that, because mm-hmm. something in the community was willing to follow that kind of attitude. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. they were the, you know, the, pro- the provocateurs over Correct. and over, and uh, they, it was really very distressing, and I saw it with my own eyes. So I'm not shocked by what you're saying, but I had no idea that that was the case in this case. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, and that's, of course, as you mentioned, the 1960s, that's where, you know, when the Crips were originated, which was 1969, I and it was out of that. I didn't know that either. I did mm-hmm. not know. Oh, my God, it's the same time. Yeah, exactly. And it was out of that injustice that fueled this revolt, this revolution, but it was an organized revolt. 
You know, we weren't so disorganized. It became an organized revolt with a color, with a territory, and you're not going to come into our city and into our community and disturb us without us fighting back, you know, and we're going to protect our people. And that's how it was. So it was not something that was created out of, out of gangster rap because gangster rap wasn't created at that time. Right, you know, right. That was, came it, way later. <laughs> it, much later. So, you know, some people say, they'll say, oh, these thugs and all of that, you know, they're just gangsters and that rap music. And no, the music came later, but the injustice happened prior. Right. You know, the thirst, and the thirst for justice has always been with us as, you know, black people, original people since we were brought here. And so for us to fight back, it's not shocking. I mean, if you hit a dog long enough, he'll bite you. Yeah, you bet. You know, or if you or if you hit a child long enough, or if you hit a, a grown woman, a grown man, if you hit anyone long enough, either they are going to succumb to the thrashing or they are going to fight back. It's just it's simple logic of survival. Yeah. Yeah, and what we really need to do is neither acquiesce nor fight in a disorganized way, but to get together and really get together, get right. all of us together to really to overcome this. So this is really fascinating. Now, when the black and Hispanics discovered, now what, what did the, what was the Hispanic community, were they in the Crips and the Bloods at that time? They weren't, hadn't really arrived yet in that area? I mean, well, I'm trying what, to understand you, why it mm-hmm. broke up and why uh, people didn't get wise to what was happening and stop it. Well, the, the, the agenda, of course, is you cannot allow a group of people to unite because if they unite, they will gather on to a nation uh, who is their friend and who is our enemy and they will come against us. That's in the Bible. Do, mm-hmm. you know, cut them, let us cut them off from a nation. So, you know, you have to, one, make sure you look at all the allies, anybody who is their friend, who they can link up with, ally themselves with, and come against us. Find those people, turn them against them, and turn them against each other. That way, we will never have anyone who could stop us from having dominance and control. So, the Hispanics, our brown brothers, you know, they've had with the, you know, the mafia, and they've had, you know, MS-13s, these different groups that have existed for a very long time. But... The black and the brown, we have originally, we're family. So there was no division with us originally. But with the coming of injustice came the the creation of these different groups that would, in an organized manner, fight against injustice. In early times, there were some Hispanic Crips. There were some Hispanic Bloods, definitely, Um, especially over in Long Beach and in Compton. There, I mean, because this is Mexico. This oh, is what yeah. Mexico was. Yeah, California. <laughs> you know, know, you hear these names: Santa Barbara, Santa Monica, Carona. These are the. These are. <laughs> this is Spanish. Yeah. You know, so we we're here as a family, and we had agreements. You know, you 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 know, you're over here. I'm over here. We well, let's protect each other. You know, that's how it was. But that is something that the government couldn't have because the government had a specific plan, and they had to come in and separate us. So. To answer your question, yes, there there were Hispanics who were Bloods and Crips, and to this very day, there are some as well. So, um, at the, at, as things worsened and there was more and more antagonism, I mean, it even happens in the prisons that there are separate gangs. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really awful that 
was there never a moment? I mean, we're talking about now. There seems to be a moment where this is this consciousness is changing, but in mm-hmm. between. And I know that here you have to tell me what you have been taught because you aren't alive then <laughs> to right. see all of this. So you're, you know, you can only pass on the information that you have. But you right. know, I'm, I'm wondering what happened along the way. I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you something that happened to uh, in the New Left. That was way mm-hmm. before your time. This was back in 1967. Mm-hmm. I was part of an organization called the National Conference for New Politics. And the whole idea was to bring together everybody. So we had a, a convention in Chicago. And at the Chicago convention, Martin Luther King was there. And the Black Panthers were there. And the Mississippi Freedom Democrats were there. And Fannie Lou Hamer. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, there were people of Cesar Chavez. And uh, the peace oh, movement. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. Uh, well, but it wasn't. <laughs> mm. No, oh, I'm wow. going okay. to tell you what happened from what I saw. Mm. You know, and I was working for the organization, so I was pretty much on the inside of everything because I was, became a full-time movement organizer person, you know, pretty early in my life. And then um, what happened was everyone came together, but there was a lot of suspicion. And there was fighting. I mean, there was a lot of physical fighting going on in the Black Caucus. I mean, people were, being, mm. uh, you know, left for the hospital. God knows what was going on in there. And the the whites were so, I have to say, were very guilt-ridden and really didn't have a broad perspective as far as I was concerned. So mm. when the, the, you know, you may hate me for this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, this is my experience, okay? So uh, when the Black Caucus said, we want equal represent, we want 51% of the vote. And mm. uh, the, bl- the white liberals said, of course, you know, you should have 51% of the vote. Well, I didn't believe in that. Now, you may disagree with that, but I didn't believe in that because I also knew there was a white working class that was very disenfranchised. And I was afraid of the divisiveness of that approach. It's, you know, why do we need to do that? Why can't we come together around the things that we all need? I mean, that was the same thing for the Hispanics and the Native Americans, I mean, and the lesbians and all that, though there were, of course, there were mm-hmm. no gay organizations. And what happened was... Because of white guilt, they passed the agreement that the blacks uh, that the Black Caucus was going to have over fifty percent of the vote, and then they all left the movement. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I'm not kidding you, Risa. I was there. I saw them, wow. and I also know there were a lot of police agents there. I I know I wasn't one of them, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but That's you know. And, you know, and this was a sad thing because this makes me want to cry. One of the members of the Black Caucus, a black guy, came over to me because I had stood up and I had spoken. I said, I don't agree with this. You know, you may not agree with me, but I have to say that my political perspective is that this is going to divide us. We need to come together and recognize that this is a bigger struggle than just black and white. This is a class struggle. This is a social struggle. We need a real revolution. And this black guy came over to me and said, I would like you to close this conference. And I was so touched. You know, it made me want to cry that he had reached out to me. And then by the time the, the thing happened, they pushed me out and wouldn't let me speak. Wow. And so, you know, I want to tell you that 
it, it, the, the good old days weren't all that good. There was a lot of rough stuff happening. Uh, there were some who, you know, who accused me of being a police agent, threatened my life because I had a different perspective. You know, I, I saw the craziness and I am certain that they were police agents. I'm certain and they oh, were the ones who were masquerading as the most militant, right? They were mm-hmm. the agents and I saw the whole thing crumble. And it was gone. That organization did not last. It, it limped along for a few months. We had, you know, all kinds of interesting people coming together, you know, from Dr. Spock to, you know what I mean? Um, wow. <laughs> but it fell apart because there wasn't anything real that was holding it together. You cannot right. build a movement on guilt. You have to build it on people recognizing their self-interest is together with what you're doing. I mean, I think that's what you're doing. You guys are really trying to show people we have the same interest. And, you know, whether it's, quote, against the police or the system or however you want to put it, you know, there is something there. And isn't it horrible when that gets split by anybody? And then we fall. Divided, we fall. And we did. I mean, you look at what happened you know, the 70s, the 80s, I mean, God knows. I mean, the, you had the women's movement, you had some other movements happening, but there was a lot of just like giving up. People just gave up and didn't know what to do. The, the fringe of violence was out there and people were running to, to the hills. And, right. um, you know, people did not have anything that brought them together. It was, a, it was a coalition against instead of a coalition for. Right. And, you know, and I'm, I'm afraid, I hope to God that we have something different happening today, that we really are for oneness now, and that we're not just making a coalition against Trump. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, his, you know, if his Trump... entire campaign is against his... Yeah, he's, exactly, Trump is against himself. <laughs> he is. And, you know, if Trump, if Trump had a heart attack in the middle of the night, the problems... Nothing would change. Right. Nothing would change. <laughs> so anyway, so I've gone on and told you a little story, a piece of history that I thought might interest you from... <laughs> That Absolutely, no, I needed that. So tell me more about what happened in the interim and how you guys are really getting people together on what basis. How is this happening? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, they've been asking, they, they, you know, from all over America and the world, they reached out when they saw this. They said, how, how did you do that? Yes. Yeah, you know, they said how they, we've been trying to do this for years and years. How could you do that? I mean, they yes. they, were, they were completely baffled, and they said, "Wait a minute." So, in the room, you mean to tell me you had Muslims, Christians, you had Scientologists, you had Jews, you had Buddhists, you had uh, those without a faith label or um, any any label whatsoever. You had Bloods, Crips, Hispanic gangs. You had the New Black Panther Party. You had the Moorish Science Temple Brothers, the Nation of Islam, and multiple Christian churches all under the same roof, nearly 3,000 people. And not one incident happened? Really? <laughs> that is an oddity, to say it, the well, least. Well, yeah, especially when you look <laughs> at what happened in 1967. <laughs> oh, you see? It exactly. wasn't well, like right. that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, what we tell people is one, you know, because, in, you know, in the nation of Islam, they say, oh, you guys hate white people. You hate white people. No, that's absolutely that's categorically incorrect. And that is and that's factually incorrect. It is when we teach on the history of things, 
We don't just point at white people. That's not what that is. It's the mentality that we do not agree with of dominating a culture, dominating a group of people for your own self-interest to make yourself superior. That goes for a black, brown, red, yellow, white, anyone. Right so on. no one should do that. That's and that right. is what we believe. And we believe in peace. That is why Islam, the word literally means peace. But if you trace it all the way back, it means peace acquired by submitting your will to doing the will of God. That's all Islam is. So this what people think it is. It's completely it's it's skewed and it is manipulated and tossed into the, the airwaves as something completely different. It has nothing to do with terrorism or any of that, because we all know the terrorists are usually the ones who point the finger. That's usually the terrorist. Normally, that's that's usually the one. And so it's just very interesting. So in that room, you saw and pardon me, it was in the room, in the building, and it was all outside the building. It spilled out and we had chairs and a large jumbotron outside for the community because people they've they've been thirsty for this. As you said on your show, we've been waiting for something like this. Yeah. You know, and the way we did it was one, we had to look at the dynamic principle of existence. The single principle that we can all agree with is survival. That is what all living beings, creatures wish to have is survival. We all want to wake up tomorrow. We all want to push to another day and have another breath and, and live a healthy life. We all want that. Yeah. Even the most yeah. wicked individual wants to wake up the next day. <laughs> okay, so for, for better is, or worse, they do. <laughs> for better or worse. Right. You know, that's that's the, the dynamic principle after we go through everything else. So I'm a this and you're a that and left and Democrat and you know, whatever. Who after cares? All of that. Who cares? Right. After all of that, it's really, yeah. do you wish to treat others the way you want to be treated yourself? Well, isn't that, that, is that the biggest the question of all? I mean, do unto others as you would Absolutely. have others do unto you. That is supposed to be the golden rule. How right. can we, how can <laughs> so many people who call themselves religious do what they do and not oh, notice man. that they're breaking that one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's that is the that's a part of the dogmatic practice versus the real teaching. Yeah. So a lot of people, they go by what they see versus what they are supposed to do. And based off of the, the you know, what the actual writings and texts say, um, some take it literal, you know, in the Bible and, and take a man's coat when he slaps you on the face. And, you know, it's like, oh, God, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, a this, there's a lot of misunderstanding. <laughs> Well, you know, it's been a but, lot of years. Can't we evolve oh, yeah. just a little bit? You know what I mean? Right. Right. You know, it's just, you know, let's find a way to come together and, and unite because to be very frank, those who are in power at the very top, they don't care what religion you are and they actually don't care what color you are. They yeah, care absolutely. about power exactly. and control and domination. That's what they care about. It's why they have an entire world depopulation agenda. They don't care. It's about power and control. That's what they want to maintain. Uh, and because of people like yourself and other activists and conscious oriented individuals, it is inspiring too many people. It is pumping too many neurons in the brain now. And people are waking up and witnessing what's happening. And that is why we, uh, under the guidance of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, called for the gangs to end the war. Period. We, we had to. There is no other choice now because if we go down this road where citizens are murdering one another and then they start murdering police. See, yeah. at that point, that's when you know 
there's a dynamic shift in the universe that is about to occur yeah. where anarchy is present. Uh, you know, the movie The Purge is not just a movie. They don't make, you know, they don't spend millions of dollars just to make something to entertain us. <laughs> Instead, don't, they don't waste that much money just to make us laugh and everything. That's not the purpose of movies. They actually project into the minds of the people a programmatic uh, system of actions that they want you to carry out. So that movie, The Purge, which is why I tell people they shouldn't watch it. That I movie. Is I don't inspiring. know anything about it. I don't know anything oh, about The yeah. Purge, but I do know that when you start getting into quote anarchy, you're just it's an invitation to the powers that be to smash you. Oh yes. Oh yes. So well, it's like the stupidest thing you can do. It's completely infantile. It's like, yes. oh, I'm going to get my rocks off because I'm going <laughs> to look macho and I'm going to be a fighter. I'm going to go down with a gun in my hand like, come on, what are you really accomplishing other than feeding your own ego? Right. That's mm -hmm. the question. So anyway, so you said, okay, right. so it's about survival. So you went around to these, to, to these gangs and said, hey, guys, you know, let's get, let's get smart here and stop killing each other. What did you do? Well, I'll, I'll go. I'll go down the quick, you know, uh, yeah. where it started, how it happened. Basically, um, the the night in Dallas, that night when the individual took out five officers, yeah, um, as a result of you know the incessant murder of one another, black on black, and then you know yeah. all police officers every twenty eight hours statistically murdering a black man, woman, or child. You know, oh. it, it's it it just kept going back and forth, back and forth until somebody said, you know what? I'm tired. And they went and they shot back at the police, you yeah. know, because it's supposed to be your oath to protect and serve. That is supposed to be your duty. Above all else, you are supposed to make sure that the citizens are protected and you serve us and our interests, not the interests of private corporations. That is not what your duty or your oath is supposed to go towards. So the individual who took out, you know, five officers in Dallas, that caused uh, rapper the game to. He looked and he said, "Okay, this is this is crazy." Mm. You know, he told me he was at his house. He was watching the news, and after he saw some of his own brothers and sisters, you know, some, some more black people getting shot, he was angry. And yeah. then he saw the officer get shot, and he said, "You know what? Well, he just he was angry." So he said, "The one thing that I had to do was call the honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan." Because that is who he goes to for guidance. Mm -hmm. And so he called him and he spent nearly three hours on the phone with him. And at the end of that phone call, he, his spirit was lifted. He felt much better. Um, and he received what you know he should do, the orders on, on what to do and the guidance. And so he called Minister Tony Muhammad, who is the Western re representative of the Honorable Minister Farrakhan in the Nation of Islam. And he gave him the guidance as to what to do because, you know, out of anger, we want to retaliate. That's that's yes. nature. Yeah, but you boy, know? we have to transcend that consciousness. Right. Exactly. And that's exactly what he did because the game is a blood. He's a blood. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, that's the very nature of being in the gang is retaliate. Somebody comes and shoots at one of your yeah. one of your affiliates, one of your individuals, you go yeah. to their neighborhood and you shoot one of theirs. Yeah. You of know, course. It's it's the, it's the even exchange, right? It's right. that's how it goes. <laughs> so instead he said, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, I I want to go to the police, you know, and, and and go to the mayor and the police and man, I want to just say something to him. You know, but Minister told Minister Tony, you know, gave him the guidance as to what to do. And he said, No, no, no. Don't do 
the, the, what he said, don't be natural in your mm-hmm. reaction. He said, be supernatural. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) And when he said that, he gave him the guidance as to what to do. And that was the day that was July 8th, early that morning, where we met up right down the street from the police station. I was there at 4.57 a.m. I was the second person there. Mm -hmm. And the game had sent out a text message to multiple people, different celebrities, gangs, you know, all kinds of people. Just sent the message down and said, we're going to go meet with the police and the mayor or whoever will be there. Nothing was scheduled, so we didn't know yeah. who was going to be there. But the intention was to go and meet. And he said, we're going to go in there and we're going to shake the hands of the police officers. And he said, we want to reintroduce ourselves to oh, them as men and that's men. brilliant. He's, you know, that's brilliant. Father, father, yeah, that's it's it. It's the oneness. It's the oneness. That's we need it. to create relatability. We need to understand that it's all, we are all scared. Everybody is scared. Right, exactly. And he said, he told everybody once the crowd started to gather, by about 7.38, there were a few hundred people there. And these, you're talking about artists, gang members, uh, men, women. I mean, you had, and and that's when, by the way, Snoop Dogg showed up around 7.30. And Snoop Dogg is a crit. Mm. Okay, so you have Snoop Dogg as a crip for, for over 20 years. Game is a blood for over 15 years and, and known in their neighborhoods. This is not a, a little lightweight thing. Mm-hmm. So you see a blood and a crip standing next to one another mm. in agreement. Mm. That alone creates a shift in the universe for all of those below them, beneath them and for yes, other people. Because they're course. thinking... They're leaders. Yeah. That's what leaders leaders are supposed to do. Leaders are supposed to take us places that we may not be able to have the courage or the common sense to do. But they're supposed to come in there and make us face up to the facts. Right. And and instead of pander to the lowest common denominator. Mm hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes we may not always agree with the decisions of our leaders. And that is okay. That right. is okay. As long as the decision brings about a more optimum result for the whole or for the greater good, then that's right. fine. Right. You know, or, and, or it and so, opens a conversation where we can come right. to something even better. Exactly. At least so, a dialogue. So mm-hmm. this is how, I mean, it just happened sort of, people just started showing up and showing up. Oh, he literally, this was orchestrated in less than 12 hours. Literally. He sent huh. the message out around, I received the message around midnight. And I was there four hours later. And then people just started streaming in. Yeah, people started coming in. It was it was just like that. It was oh not my a God. planned and oh that, no, it was. Mm-hmm. That's beyond amazing. Well, you bet that was God. You oh, bet yes. that was God because if human beings had planned it, somebody would have gotten in there and gummed it up. Exactly. <laughs> precisely. I, I mean, that, it's yeah. like, don't organize this thing so that nobody can come in with their big fat ego and try to get right. in there and manipulate it for their own power, and their own end. Because even exactly. in the movement, unfortunately, we have human beings, all of whom, all of us are still dealing with our own egos, right? <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. So, so, oh my God, this is like the most amazing thing. So tell me at <laughs> so, the end of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so, keep so basically... Going. After we gathered and everyone came together, he pretty much gave us our marching orders. He said, we're going to go. We're going to shake the hands of the police officers. He said, if you are only about just black people today, he said, you might as well leave. 
Uh, he said, because it's, it, we have to look at more than just black people. He said, he said, I'm a black man, of course. He said, so black people come first to me because that's just nature. You yeah. know, he said, but we have to look at everyone who is under our influence. And he said, I have black fans. I have white fans. I have Hispanic fans. I have European and, and Islander fans. He said, I have a lot of people to take responsibility for. Wow. So he looked at it from a superior, a, a external yeah. viewpoint. Yeah, and a so higher after that, consciousness. A, I would exactly. call it a higher consciousness exactly. rather than an egoic me, me, me consciousness. Right. Yeah, we don't like those. No, uh, we, can, we, we really we don't. Do that. That's what our whole organization is. That's what we're trying to work on is confronting the ego every which way in our families, in our relationships, in our culture, between races, everything, classes. Exactly. Yeah. So where does this take us? Where did this well, go? Well, basically, after, after all of this, we marched uh, all the way down. And you can see videos all over the place. Marched all the way down to the front of the police station. And what do you know? There were about seven channels, TV channels there. There yeah. was the LA Times there. The, it was a graduation for the new cadets. That was happening. We, we did not know any of this. The mayor was there. The police chief was there. None of this was planned. None of us knew. This oh. is how God orchestrated. He oh said, if my you God. want to make this happen, I will do that. If there are two or more of you touching and agreeing, there I am in the midst. So he's, yeah. if you want to create peace, I'll help you to create the peace. Yeah. And so that's how it all happened. And then the, the assistant to the police chief came down and he said, so what, what do you, you know, what is this? What are you guys trying to do? <laughs> And because, you know, you see a bunch of black people with blue yeah, and red, like, you know, yeah. And then, and then you see bow ties and Nation of Islam, like, oh, my God, it's it's that time. Oh, my God, it's going to happen. Yeah, right. You know, right. It's, it's like, Armageddon. Like, They're coming right. after it's us. Like, oh, God. Right. Come, like, come on, guys. Really? You know, it's just <laughs> so funny. But we get there yeah. and we're, we're you know, we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're smiling, but we're smiling with the intention of, listen, we're serious about this. Right, yeah. Yeah. You know, we want yeah. this peace yeah. because if we don't do it now, we will not be able to control what is about to happen in these communities. This is this is what he was saying. And so he shook his hand. And then the police chief said that, that he would like to meet with us. And the mayor said they would like to meet with us. So we were outside for about an hour or two. They said, we're going to wait here as long as we need to. And so we were there waiting. Once, once they let us know, myself, the game, Snoop Dogg, another rapper by the name of Problem, um, we all went in and we sat down in a very intimate meeting with Mayor Eric Garcetti, uh, Chief Charlie Beck, all of us who were in there and, you know, the different major executives. And we had a dialogue right there, unscheduled, unfiltered, just pure heart to heart dialogue, Yeah, you know, about what's happening. Snoop Dogg gave his point, Game gave his problem. And then I gave mine on behalf of Minister Tony Muhammad. And the honorable ministers for our condemnation of Islam. And by the time we were finished, we had pretty much removed the, you can say, the, the big what if, that dangerous, you know, fearful concept of, oh, my God, what if these gangs do this? What are they trying to do? What are, yeah. you know, everyone felt a little more comfortable because yeah. we knew each other's point of view. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, and, and so it opened that up. And uh, I asked the mayor and, and Chief Charlie Beck, I said, are you willing to point out your rogue officers who have mm. racist mentalities? Yeah. Are you yeah. willing to have them put in check, fired without pay? Are you willing to call to national? I asked them all. I said, are you willing to call to national to have them do an inspection and re-inspect all of their officers? 
to check their history, to check their behavior, to see if there are any write-ups, any citations, anything yeah. on them regarding their prejudice behavior. Yeah. You know, and so they agreed. And I said, are you willing to announce on national television that you are willing to work with the gangs and to end the bloodshed and the killing of us by us? And are you willing to put your guns down and work with us so that we can put ours down? And they said yes. And two minutes later, we went to the next room and there was a full press conference and he made the announcement on national television. Okay, now, Riza, I I can't believe we're running out of time, but it's perfect timing. Because what I want to know, we have just a couple minutes and James has to tell us what we're doing next week. But here's what I want to know. Will you come back and give us a progress report? I mean, you know, also lots of things happen in in the moment that are divine. And then all the little egos start acting up later. You know, when you get Mm -hmm. home and it's like, and then they start separating and then, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? I want to know where this is going. This is one of the most positive things I've heard of in a long time. Can you come <laughs> back? Like, give, Whenever you think it's the right time, when you have something to report, will you come back and tell us what's happening, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Just be honest with us. Absolutely. I have no problem doing that. And I, I think you know, everyone, uh, including all of your listeners, should they deserve to hear positivity. <laughs> with all the negativity happening, everyone oh. deserves to hear something positive. We do, we do, but mm-hmm. we want to know what is, I mean, because you're still dealing with people, and I oh, yes. am like on pins and needles to see how this is going to turn, because t- to me, this is just symbolic. You know, there's Christians and Jews and Jews and Muslims. There are people all over the world, gay and straight, who are trying to come together to disarm emotionally as well as in terms of physical weapons, and to really right. start to come together, and I see that a lot. We didn't have a lot of that news this time. Sometimes we have more good news. Today, I was just, like, disgusted. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there was something, you know, that we needed to say about the political scene and how we're not paying attention to the real issues. But right. um, but we, I want to know, I really honestly want to know how people are working. Are we having a real spiritual awakening? Without, I don't care about your religion. I don't care if you think you're spiritual. You know, if you wake up to oneness, accountability, and mutual support, you're my hero. You know, this is the spiritual awakening that humanity desperately needs. And it's not just in relation to each other. It's also in relationship to our planet, the animal kingdom. Right. I mean, you know, we are so darned irresponsible mm-hmm. and you know right. and I, I don't say that I'm not one you know I'm right in there with everybody else but we're just trying and so I would love to hear how that's going how your piece of the world is going and you know for us to all learn from one another so before I say goodbye and do all that stuff James would you tell us what we're doing next week who we're harassing next week (laughs) (laughs) okay well next week we're talking about income inequality from another angle patriotic millionaires are campaigning to end income inequality meet one of them fred rotondero and be amazed what is a patriotic millionaire a millionaire or even billionaire who understands that income inequality is bad for everyone and who cares enough about people to demand that millionaires pay their fair share In other words, these are rich people who are not just willing to level the playing field, they're actively campaigning to do just that. Do they exist? They sure do. And we're interviewing one of them on this show. Fred Rotondero is a millionaire who came from a coal mining family to be a teacher, to do anti-poverty work, and civil rights work. 
to be a journalist, and more. And Fred is passionate and passionately working to end the obscene income inequality in our nation. Who are these patriotic millionaires? What motivates them? What are they doing to change our society? Is this movement catching on? Tune in for all of this and more. And now, for a final word from Beth. And by the way, you might be interested, Riza, that the week after, we're having Josh Hoxie and Emmanuel Nieves come on and talk about the inequality of black people in particular. We've talked about it before, but these people have really come up with some very powerful documentation would take 288 years for a black family to catch up with a white family. I mean, it's, wow. I mean it, it's really bad. And people need the fact. We have to stop getting, you know, fighting each other. We have to have compassion. We have to understand where people are coming from. We have to understand why they're hurting and that they're hurting. Absolutely. All of us. And, you know, men have to understand that women are hurting. You know, we're, we all need to understand the children are hurting. So, um, anyway, you have really given me such a boost today. <laughs> oh, I definitely appreciate it. Praise be to God. I definitely appreciate that. And give us your website, Riza. Yes, uh, it is www.rizaislam.com. That's R-I-Z as in zebra, Z as in zebra, A as in apple, islam.com. And YouTube, who is Riza Islam? Who is Risa Islam? <laughs> well, and so I would like to say that we all need to get beyond our stereotypes and our fears and the past. You know, whatever we've experienced in the past, let it be the past. Let's come together with our hearts because we all are human and all have the same needs for love and validation. Let's try to create a real brother-sisterhood, transgenderhood of humanity. God bless and thank you and get in touch with us, please, and let us know. We want to know what's going on with this story. Till next Absolutely. week. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.